we're going to uh, just do things slightly differently this morning. We're going to um, get back to some worship um, towards the end, um, but I'd love to share with you first of all. And uh, I've got some special guests who are also going to share this morning. Um, so uh, this is a, uh, a three-person act. Um, and uh, so uh, um, you'll hear from them in a little minute. Um, but before we do that, um, I'm talking about the Father this morning. Um, I'm doing the Father Part 3. Um, this is starting to sound a little bit like a movie um, title, um, The Godfather. Um, uh, anyway, um, I want us to have a slightly different focus this morning, because sometimes, oftentimes actually with our messages, what we are communicating is stuff to do with you and God, either stuff about God or what stuff God says about you, that kind of thing. But actually this morning, what I want to do is to kind of link in things a little bit more for us in terms of actually God's heart, not only for us, but actually for everyone, that there is a global perspective to who God is, his heart for everyone. Um, it's not just about you and me. Um, but actually, this is why us talking about freedom, going through the, the series that we are, it is vital that we engage with this subject because God has a heart not only for you and me, but also for those who don't yet know him. Yeah? And uh, so um, what makes a good dad is a good question, isn't it? If we're going to talk about fathers, what makes a good dad? Um, I've got some cards here that my kids gave me. Um, and uh, so one of them says, bestest daddy. You're the best daddy in the whole wide world. So I'm sorry, everyone. That's obviously uh, that's how they see me. Um, there's this one. Um, there's a definition on this one. So I like this. Um, reader of stories, giver of hugs, tickler of toes, wiper of tears, provider of piggybacks and horsey rides, bringer of fun, laughter, and happy ever afters. That's pretty good, isn't it, for a greetings card? Because they're often really bad. So that's actually quite good. Um, and um, my kids have put lots of things inside these different cards. Um, uh, I love you so much. You're so good at bike riding. <laughs> it's great when the kids tell you what you're good at. They're really encouraging. Um, uh, I love it when you read me stories and when well, you're with me at night time. And I love it when we play games. Um, I hope you have a really lovely birthday. And I like it when you help me make Lego Star Wars ships. Uh, so um, that's how my kids see me. Um, and uh, it communicates something of who they are, doesn't it? It communicates something of actually how love is communicated. Um, there was a book that came out a few years ago called The Love Languages, Five Love Languages, something like that. Um, and they then reworked it and did a Five Love Languages for Kids. So, uh, uh, and so it's quite helpful as a parent knowing what are the things that communicate, you know, that your children communicate with you on how love is, is expressed. Um, so uh, those things that they mention are touch, words, quality time, gifts and service, um, and uh, we could easily go into those at another time and talk about your love languages and how you connect with God, the, the way that you connect with him. Um, but uh, I don't want to do that this morning. Um, but what I do want to ask you is, how, what do you love about your father in heaven? 
What do you love about him? Because it's important that the truths that we have in the Bible are ones that we've actually experienced. Yeah? If all we do is read truth and learn scripture and recite it, and yet it doesn't actually pervade deep down into our heart, it doesn't actually impact us, um, then it's, it remains abstract. Um, I've been on a bit of a journey, I must admit, the last couple of years, because um, uh, you might remember uh, two years ago now, Adrian and I went over to Bethel Church in Redding, California, and uh, one of the things that I discovered there was how I relate to God. And I hadn't really thought this t- through too much, but obviously there are three persons in the Trinity, aren't there? And uh, I realized that actually for most of the time I connect with Jesus. I connect with him um, as a saviour, as my brother, as my friend. And I think I've grown up through life uh, connecting with God in that kind of way. And it's been quite interesting to then think, well, actually, I could connect with the other people of the Trinity and explore those relationships and actually be a bit more deliberate about exploring relationship with each member of the Trinity yeah, And so for me, the last couple of years, I've just been focusing far more on my relationship with the Father. And um, uh, I don't know if you've ever tried, if you've ever even thought about how you relate to God. Um, oftentimes, when we are not closely related to him, I find that we use the word God. People can use the word God, and it's, it's such a... A word that's just used, just thrown around, it, it doesn't mean too much, does it? God means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But when we start relating to the person, the three persons of the Trinity, there's an intimacy, there's a relationship which starts to get expressed in a way that is greater and richer. Do you see what I mean? And um, so uh, so I've, I've just been exploring this whole thing of what it is to relate to God as my father. Um, and um, if I'm really honest, even using the word daddy to describe God sticks in my throat a little bit. Um, I, don't, I, I listen to you know, um, other people preaching, and um, I've obviously got quite a bit of American influence, and they're really happy calling him papa and daddy and all this kind of stuff. And it's taken me a while to kind of get over my sort of, I don't know if it's a British thing or if it's just a me thing or what it is. I think it's true for lots of us and maybe even for lots of guys, but just the whole thing of how we communicate with God, what do we call him? Um, and actually, he's, he's your dad. <laughs> um, he loves you so, so much. There's an intimate relationship. You know, these, these things that my kids say about me and that I can say to them... Actually, that's the kind of dialogue that we can have with our Father in heaven, isn't it? Because he's, he's Abba. <laughs> um, that's the, the cry. When we come into relationship with him, that's the cry. Abba, Father, cry is the most natural thing to cry out to our Father. Not just God, not, not just a, a blanket comment, and a name, but actually this is, this is our Father. And do you know, there's, uh, I could go on all morning about aspects through the Father, which I'm not going to do. I'm going to do that next time. But do you know, you thrill his heart. Like, not just you as in the corporate you, but you individually thrill God's heart. 
and you do, and you do. And there is something about the way that you connect with the Father that thrills his heart, which is distinct to everybody else on the planet. So when my three kids, I've got three children, when I, I see them, I can hug each one. I can give each one a cuddle. It does something different to me with each of my children because my relationship with them is individual. It's distinct. I have three children. I love all my children. But I love this one and this one and this one. And it's the same with you. And what my desire is for us going through this series is that we know what it is to connect at a deeper level with our Father because you thrill his heart. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, I know this is impacting people. Even here you're going, oh, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. Um, I really want us to just be open to be uncomfortable (laughs) in the presence of God because actually being uncomfortable is a good thing because it causes us to throw ourselves on him. If we're always comfortable with how we see God, then we're never going to be, have our eyes open to greater revelation of who he is or what he wants to do with us or actually of what his love really looks like. Yeah? Um, uh, I watched a movie a little while ago with Leo um, called Invictus. I don't know if you've ever seen this film. It's out a few years ago. Um, Matt Damon... Um, Morgan Freeman. Uh, Morgan Freeman plays Nelson Mandela, and it's set around the mid-90s um, with, uh, obviously, Mandela coming out of prison but then going on to um, subsequently become um, the uh, Prime Minister? President? Uh, I don't know. And uh, President? And, uh, and then the whole... Uh, Tanya, I'll just ask you. And then with the whole... Um, the, then the South Africans then winning the World Rugby Championship, Yeah. And uh, there's this moment in the film where um, Morgan Freeman is out running. Uh, he, he, he takes to going out for a little jog in the mornings, um, and, uh, uh, which causes nightmare, obviously, for his bodyguards and all that sort of thing. So um, he always has this, this, this couple of guys that run with him, and each morning he comes out, and, uh, and he asks them how their families are. And, uh, and so there's one particular morning where they show this, this moment where he comes out and um, Nelson Mandela turns to one of his security guys and says, good morning, how's, how's your family? And uh, the guy says, oh, they're, they're fine, thank you, sir, how are yours? And, uh, and the other guy suddenly looks because obviously they don't normally ask him those sorts of personal questions. And Nelson Mandela just stops and looks at him. And he says, my family's very large, I have 42 million children. And there was something of the Father Heart of God that just got me in that moment. Because actually when we say to God, God has your family, he can look at us and say, well, my family is very large. I have 7 billion children. They all mean something to him. They are all distinct and individual I did a thing, didn't I, a few weeks ago where I said if we lined everybody up on the face of the earth and we gave them a foot of space as a queue around the earth, it would go round the earth something like 37 times or something. I don't know, I can't remember my notes. But it, there's an enormous number of people on this planet and every single one brings something unique to the heart of God. They thrill his heart. Now, loads of those, five billion of those don't know him but we do. 
And um, what I've noticed has been happening to me over the last few weeks, a um, few months, whatever, is as I'm engaging with the Father and as I'm enjoying his presence and getting closer to him, I've become more interested in his business. I've become more interested in what thrills his heart. I've begun to care more about the family, about his family. Because the truth is, he's about restoring a family, isn't he? He's about bringing a family together. That's what this has all been about. It's what all of world history is about. It's about bringing together his family, bringing together his children. He wants his kids back. And what I've come to realise is that I want my brothers and sisters back. (laughs) And um, that's partly why I wanted to just put this twist on this morning because I want you guys to catch something of God's heart for folk in this world. Um, Because when we get involved with communicating the gospel to people, sharing the love of God with people, it's easy for that to just become a thing of we do that because that's what Christians are supposed to do. Yeah? But when we actually are in love with the Father... And that love for his family then grows and we see his perspective on this whole deal. It changes the way we ever want to share the love of God. We no longer do it because we have to or because it's a key component to being a believer. It's nothing like that. It's because this is our family that we're talking about. Um, We... um, uh, it sounds like me and Leo watch a lot of TV. Um, perhaps we do, perhaps, perhaps we watch too much. Um, we watched a TV show and, uh, a few weeks ago. And in this TV show, there's a little boy who is adjusting to life with um, his mum and his new stepdad. And uh, so he is um, basically wanting to maintain relationship with his dad. And um, uh, he's sitting on the step outside the house waiting for his dad to come because his dad has said that he's going to take him out for the day. And uh, what the stepdad knows is actually that, is that his real dad is unreliable and actually not that bothered. He's quite a selfish guy. And, uh, and he knows that his dad isn't going to come. And uh, so the stepdad is, is basically asking himself the rhetorical question of what makes a good dad. And uh, his... His thoughts basically ran to the quote that I just remember was um, 90% of being a good dad is just showing up. And uh, while on the face of it that's, that sounds a little bit thin, actually it's, it's not that far from the truth. Because being present and actually maybe not just physically showing up, but actually showing up and then engaging... <laughs> is more accurate. But you know what? We live in a world of fatherless people. We live in a society where dads don't show up, where parents haven't shown up, where leaders of nations haven't shown up and fathered nations. That's the world we live in, isn't it? And so people have therefore not been parented well and have been then able and allowed to get away with all sorts of stuff. And so, as a result of that, we're living in a broken place. You know, it's a broken family, isn't it? And uh, so there's obviously lots of organisations doing numbers of things around the world 
to help bring the love of God in. Um, uh, in a few weeks, we're going to get Rose to share um, about her adventures um, in uh, China uh, recently. Um, New Day is a great example, isn't it, of a bunch of people who are wanting to demonstrate the love of God and put this family back together. Um, our food bank that we do here, you know, it's a great witness of the love of God. We have broken people day after day coming through these doors. If you're not around this building very much other than a Sunday, then you will miss what goes on around here during the week. We have broken people day after day coming in. And yes, we're meeting a physical need in terms of providing food, but also there is something that reflects the glory and the beauty of the love of God as, as we come together and demonstrate that. Yeah, The Bible talks quite clearly about that. Um, so... Uh, I'm going to get Paul up in just a second, and then Gail. Paul is going to come and talk a little bit about compassion um, uh, and why it means um, something to him, and uh, just to share the work that they do. And Gail is going to get up and talk a bit about open doors and stuff that means a lot to her. Um, because, and I wanted these guys to come and share for a little while, and one of the reasons why is because I want us just to get a sense of, you know what, the size of the problems in our world are enormous. That's true. But on the other hand... God is on the move. And in the midst of horrendous situations, there are believers who are living out this faith, are living out this message of love. Um, And then we get to be a part of that, don't we? We get to share in that. It may well be that you guys get struck by what um, Gail and Paul share. Um, That's great. I haven't asked them up to do this because I'm wanting it to be any sense of a recruitment drive for those organisations. I think more my heart is that we get a sense of what is God doing um, across the planet. And this is just two examples of that that are involved um, from folk who are involved with us here locally. Um, Let me just finish with this bit of scripture and then I'm going to hand over to Paul. Um, uh, In John's Gospel it says, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Let me read that again. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You know, what this is saying is actually a good barometer for actually your love for God is how you demonstrate that by loving others. Yeah? There's numbers of times where Jesus makes this same statement. Um, even the, the commandments themselves, you know, two greatest commandments. Yeah, love, love God, but actually loving, loving your neighbour, loving each other, it, it, it's, it's like it, it's with it. It's, it's, it you can't separate them, actually. Um, and it's, it's possible for us to come and stand in these walls and to raise our hands and to sing our songs and express our love and then to walk outside and miss the homeless guys that we have sleeping on our own steps. And we can't do that. We have a responsibility to do something. Yeah? Um. Okay, Paul, do you want to come and share? Hello? Oh, that's it. Thank you. 
Um, before I get to talk about um, Compassion International, which is close to my heart, I thought it would be good to um, set it in a bit of a context of a personal journey that I've been on um, and to make it a bit more real to you. It's such a... Um, I can't overestimate the importance of the lesson that um, Pete's just um, brought to us about connecting our heads to our hearts. Um, I don't want to count the number of years that I spent as a Christian um, believing intellectual truth about propositional statements just in my head without it coming alive in my heart. And uh, it was just too long, really. Uh, the first time it struck me in my heart that I was called to um, represent Jesus to the world was here at Oasis. Um, in the church I'd grown up in, I knew that I was a disciple. I knew that I was a follower of Jesus. Um, I knew that I was called to be an ambassador. I got all the biblical terms down. Tick, 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 tick. Um, but in terms of actually me personally representing and doing the stuff that Jesus did took me years to understand and get revelation on. And uh, so my wife, Rachel, who I know many of you know, um, we, we joined Oasis about 15 years ago when uh, Chris and Rachel Vincent, who many of you know, um, planted this church from Brentwood. They came from Bedford, went from Bedford to Brentwood down the road, and then from Brentwood they planted this church. And uh, we very quickly found ourselves in Chris and Rachel's home group. I think they planted the church in 1996, so it's probably we're looking at 1997, 1998. We turned up at our home group, and it must have been the first or second evening we were attending. We'd done a Bible study, lovely. Worship God, great. Then there was this pause of, let's just wait on God and see what he's going to do. Ooh, that was a bit unfamiliar for me. So uh, silence pervaded. And then this young man called Phil Warnock. Anyone know Phil Warnock? <laughs> His mum and dad are sitting right here. He broke the silence and he came up to me. Didn't know my name. Never seen him before. And he said, you there with a bald head. He said, I can see, he didn't say bald head, he said, I had hair then, <laughs> he said, I said, I can literally see Isaiah 61, the first three verses written, this is in spiritually, written on you. <laughs> I was like, a bit wrecked. So we've been in the church a month or two, second time at home group, Isaiah 61. And have you ever had those times when you thought, that is, that is true, yet a bit devastating at the same time? It's kind of comforting and disturbing. Because I, I, had, the, I had the sense of, <laughs> you know you're spot on. Everything that's articulated in those three verses is exactly what I want to spend my life doing. But it's a bit big, isn't it? It's a bit big. What I quickly learnt, jumping forward, as I met with Chris Vincent and as I hung around and we stayed obviously here at Oasis, is that numbers of people at Oasis Church also had this prophetic word of Isaiah 61. And when I met with Chris Vincent one time over coffee, um, he explained and he said, Paul, he said, it's interesting that 
before Rachel and I moved from Bedford to Brentwood, and we were thinking, yeah, maybe we plant a church in Chelmsford, um, several, yeah, at least three people who were very, very prophetic had Isaiah 61 for us as a church. What I mean by that is that when the church was planted, Isaiah 61, and those verses we're going to read in a bit, permeate everything that we do. So if you want to know what the flavor, if you like, of Oasis Church is, Isaiah 61 is probably a good place to start. And uh, so I was wrecked. I think I have been ever since, really. Um, so let's just put this to the test, shall we? So what is it? 18, 19 years ago, the church was planted. If you're here this morning, I'm going to step out a bit here, and you've had Isaiah 61 prophesied over you, either here in this church or in another church, at a conference, and another meeting, could you put your hand up? That's at least 10 I can count, and I know there's others around who aren't here this morning. So it's interesting, isn't it? Or is it interesting? We shouldn't be shocked, should we? If that's to mean the prophetic word given by God that many years ago, I wouldn't mind hazarding guess that in 20 years' time, regardless of who is here, and we ask the same question, I would fully expect hands to go up. In 2001... During 2000, and it came to fruition in 2001, Chris Vincent had, a, had an idea. He had a dream. <laughs> he had lots of dreams. Um, but one of them was to have a leadership development team, what he called a leadership development team. But what was interesting was, is really what that was about was, are there any, is there any people here who want to give a year out to demonstrate and to um, give away what God's called them to do and be? And so, to cut a long story short, there was... There's lots of inquiries, lots of people were interested, as you can imagine. Um, and four of us ended up actually doing the year out. So there was myself, um, Ruth Leverett, there was uh, Sarah Williams, and Rachel Spring. And uh, it was interesting that all four of us had had Isaiah 61 prophesied over us. And so how that worked out for Rachel and I is we, um, our passion was seeing the captives set free. Healing, wholeness, counselling, prayer ministry, whatever you want to call it, that was our thing, pastoral care, as we would call it. And so that's what we did. Um, Sarah Williams, uh, Sarah Catley, she was then. (laughs) Um, She got stuck into working and befriending with the homeless in Chelmsford. So she would go out with another legend uh, of a lady called Rosie, um, and she would just go and befriend the homeless. She also, um, I remember one year, I don't know if it was a year that we did the year out, or it might have been another year after that, but uh, we did a, the church put on a Christmas banquet for all the homeless. <laughs> did anyone go to that? Who's, still, who's here now? No? Whoa. It was awesome. It was. It, literally, a couple of days before Christmas, and... Uh, Loads of them turned up. It was really good. And we blessed the socks off them. Massive. Loads of food. It was brilliant. She did that. Um, and she also initiated prison ministry. So she started working with some young offenders in Chelmsford Prison, which then kick-started us as a church being able to go into the prison on a Sunday morning and do a service. So that was Sarah. Um, and then Ruth, um, 
she's brilliant, absolutely brilliant with children and young people. So she not only rejuvenated and refreshed and um, rolled out new children's work for a Sunday morning, she also started um, a kids' club called G-Zone. The aim of G-Zone was to get children who are not necessarily church, got a church background, um, and who lived... Actually, they could live anywhere in Chelmsford, but we, we set it up in Melbourne, which is a um, particularly deprived area of Chelmsford, um, so these children could get to hear about Jesus, have a fun time, and it was a fun time, wasn't it? And it was brilliant. I can't... I can't there's not enough superlative words to describe how good it was, and, and I reckon we are not going to even know a half of the fruit of that G-Zone Kids Club, this side of heaven. The seeds that were sown by Ruth and her team, we're talking about home visiting, the whole thing was so excellent. I'd love to give a whole morning just to <laughs> tell you all about it. But it was so impactful for these children and their parents. It was just brilliant. But it all came down to Isaiah 61. That's Isaiah 61. Um, so it works out different for different people. Let's have, let's have a read of it. Could I have the first slide up? I've put the... Um, I'm going to do the Amplified, amplified Bible version because it's, uh, it's good. Okay. Well, and what I'm going to do, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to change it and make it plural rather than singular. Okay, so then I'm going to declare it over us as a church. So, let's read it. Um, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon us because the Lord has anointed and qualified us to preach the gospel of good tidings to the meek, the poor, and afflicted. He has sent us to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the physical and spiritual captives, and the opening of the prison and of the eyes to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of his favour, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant consolation and joy to those who mourn in Zion, to give them an ornament, a garland, or a diadem of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment expressive of praise instead of a heavy, burdened, and failing spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, lofty, strong, and magnificent, distinguished for uprightness, justice, and right standing with God, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Brilliant. And then further on in that passage which I also want to have a look at, is this verse in 9, the second part of verse 9. All who see us in our prosperity, and that's not just financial prosperity, that's prosperity at every level, emotionally, mentally, the whole thing, will recognize and acknowledge that we are the people whom the Lord has blessed. So, an important question this morning. I've got one of many. (laughs) Do you consider yourself... Do you believe that you are blessed? There was a time when I really identified it. I really identified with um, the people described in Isaiah 61. I've known what it's like to have a heavy and burdened, failing spirit. I've known what it's like to grieve and be in mourning. Yet it goes on to say that actually... God can turn all that to a a prosperity that equals our blessedness. 
Um, in June of this year, I did a study for our um, community group, following on from a preach that Pete did um, on the Beatitudes. And we were, I was looking at and studying that whole word, word blessed. What does it actually mean? Because it's a word that we sort of throw around, we've heard about it spoken in church, but what does it actually mean? And it absolutely rocked my world. It was a real eye-opener. So I'm going to give you a little extract of this, of this study I did and just let it just wash over you because this is just <laughs> amazing. I completely underestimated that word. So to be blessed is to be characterized by the quality of God. When you are indwelt by the living God, God's nature is in you. You literally have the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven within you. Blessed also means to be fully satisfied. Partially satisfied? Some days. Fully satisfied? This satisfaction is not due to circumstances of life or even the fulfillment of the conditions prescribed in the Beatitudes, but due to Christ's indwelling solely. And that word blessed in the Amplified Bible, I looked it up. As you can tell, I like the Amplified Bible. So in Matthew 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed, and then in brackets, to be happy, spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions. Does that sound like good news? You're blessed. In verse 4, it says, blessed, a happiness, this is awesome, this is, a happiness produced by the experience, see, head, heart, Pete was talking about, a happiness produced by the experience of God's favor and is specially conditioned by the revelation of his matchless grace. So why are we doing a series on freedom? Why are we preaching and keep going on and on and on about the Father? So that we especially get conditioned by the revelation of his matchless grace. That's what it is to be blessed. So based on that definition, I can 100% guarantee and um, honestly tell you the truth that my family and I are blessed. Really blessed. And I believe there's two fundamental reasons why God, in his matchless grace, chooses to bless us like he does. First one, it's inherent in his character and his nature. Just like your heart's beating, without you giving it any thought, without you putting any effort into it, your heart beats. And that's the same with God. So it's just it's part of his nature. He can't help himself. It's almost like he's compelled by love, by his nature, inherently to bless us. It's just who he is. Second reason, I believe that as we receive the revelation of our blessed state, God wants to position us and our hearts so that we instinctively bless others. That's no obligation. That's not out of a sense of duty. It's not out of a sense of law. It's not out of a sense of people-pleasing. It's not out of a sense of God-pleasing. It's purely because we are blessed. We instinctively give it away. They're my main two reasons. So, compassion. One of the ways um, Rachel and I choose to pass on a blessing is by sponsoring a couple of children um, through compassion. And uh, over the years, we've supported many and different children as they sort of grown up and left the projects and what have you. But right now, we're, um, we've got the privilege of supporting two children. 
The first is going to come up on the screen. Oh, Francesca. Isn't she lovely? Oh. Um, uh, Francesca is going to be 10 just two days before our Rebecca turns 10 in November. She lives in a village near Santo Domingo. Santo Domingo, sorry, in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> That's why I can't get my head, lips and tongue around it. Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. This is one of three children. For fun, Francesca likes playing with dolls, playing with friends, and playing house. Does that sound familiar? Anyone who's got children, particularly girls? Yeah. Dolls, friends, and house. Yeah. Um, next one is Mikey. Oh, it's Mike. Um, he's five years old. He's one of nine children. Man, I bet that's interesting around, around routines, <laughs> bed and meals. <laughs> um, he lives in Haiti. Um, for fun, Mike likes playing football and playing with toy cars. Check out some of these stats. Just horrendous. In, in his community, 60% of adults are unemployed. Only 20% of children attend a primary school. And out of those at primary school, only 10% go on to higher education, or what we call secondary school. And there's no university. Now, I've not got a photograph um, of this girl, but did you know that the church here at Oasis, we sponsor a child called Benji through Compassion. Um, if you come and see me at the stand, Compassion Stand, in the coffee area after the meeting, um, there's photographs of her and letters that she's written and what have you. But um, she also lives in Haiti, and she's one of four children. She likes drawing and singing, basketball and horses. And uh, I'm reliably told by my wife, Oasis sent some money from the Christmas coffee morning last year, specifically to help Benji and her family. And uh, apparently she bought two goats. And uh, there's a picture of her with her goats outside there. Now... Um, over the years, I've had the incredible privilege, and it has been an, an amazing privilege, to have met at various conferences children who have gone through Compassion, their program, and I've heard their testimonies and what they've made of their lives as adults. And I've got to tell you, I've been to a lot of conferences, and I've met a lot of people, but these individuals absolutely are incredible. Their testimonies and their... Just their stories of God's grace are just mind-blowing, honestly. Um, I know that, obviously, I've got a particular passion, and I love serving the poor, but just hearing them and seeing their joy, seeing their satisfaction and their contentment is just incredible. Um, in 2009, um, Rachel and I went to a Compassion Conference, and we met a guy, um, and I chatted with him for ages afterwards. I met a guy called Tony Beltran. And uh, I've got a DVD clip coming up here. Let me get the first one ready. Um, he's, the, he's basically Tony's going to be the first guy that speaks um, on this clip. Let's have, a, let's have a listen. Listen to this. I'm nearly done, and I'm going to hand over to, um, to Gail. But just lastly... Uh, some good news. Last year, just last year, um, 138,000 children 
got to know Jesus for the first time through compassion. That to me says that's 138,000 potential world changers became Christians just last year. But it's not okay for me. It's not okay that a child dies from hunger every five seconds. So at 12 children a minute, that means by the time you and I leave church today, approximately 1,440 children have died in that time just purely because they've not got enough food. That can't be okay. It can't be okay that one-third of the world's children live in extreme poverty. That's 1.1 billion children. It's not okay that 150 million children are forced into child labour every year. And for me, it's not okay that there are 153 million child orphans in the world today. It's interesting, in Romans 8, it's a very familiar chapter that we probably know really well. In the middle of it, in 19 to 22, it talks about all of creation groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, waiting for the children of God the sons and daughters, to liberate it. It's almost like Paul's given us a rallying call. Guys, did you know all of creation, including children and adults, all of creation is groaning, waiting for the children of God. So how do I express that prophetic word of Isaiah 61 and the revelation of just how outrageously blessed I am? Well, for me, it's by transforming the lives of children one by one. They say, don't they, that a journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. And when you hear figures and stats like that, you think, man, poverty. (laughs) That's like a thousand mile walk. It just can't be done. But it can if you just take one step. So I'm going to leave. We'll leave the last clip. I was going to show another clip, but we'll leave that. Um, If you'd like to know more about compassion... Um, even if you feel stirred today to actually sponsor a child, that's fine. If not, it's also fine. But do pray. Do remember them. Um, and uh, I'm going to hand over to Gail. This is very scary for me, so if I um, get a bit trembly or tearful, just um, give me a time. I don't like standing up in front of people. I'm really good at talking, but... (laughs) (laughs) Mine's a a very different focus. Um, It's it's practically based, and it's very prayer-based. It centres around my involvement with Open Doors. Um, and it's all to do with discrimination for being a lover of Christ. And um, Kevin and I have spent a few years um, working for Open Doors at Christian festivals, and we've always um, found it quite amazing that people don't think about um, whether they would ever be harassed for being a Christian. Um, and if they were harassed and life was made extremely difficult for them, would, would they still want to stand up and say they believe in God? Um, and there's, there's lots of charities that, 
that do this similar work to Open Doors. There's Release, there's um, CSW, Christian Solidarity Worldwide, um, there's Barnabas, and I'm sure there's loads more. Um, but they take um, the remit to, to tell us about those places of the world where there's persecution and discrimination, um, perhaps beyond your imagination. I'm reading um, a, a prayer book on the moment, at the moment about the importance of prayer in, and being an intercessor. Intercess, I can't say that word now. And I want to read this bit to you. It says in this book that by means of intercessory prayer, God extends to each of us a personalised, hand-engraved invitation to become intimately involved in labouring for the well-being of others. And that it's not a cowardly thing to pray, it's the only way to get in touch with reality. And I think over the years that I've followed Open Doors, that's just become more and more evident in me that God wants me to do more about it. <laughs> this is my first attempt. <laughs> um, right, I, I first found out about Open Doors um, because I was at a church and they had one of those speakers come along that try and encourage you to get involved. Um, and it struck me then that I was one of those innocent people that didn't think anything outside of being in this country and being a Christian and singing songs wherever we like and all the rest of it actually happened. And uh, he just made me realise that for some people it's so very, very um, uncomfortable. And that made me start wanting to um, get involved practically because that's the sort of person I am. So on the stand outside there are three T-shirts. One is a 10K run. One's a half marathon, and the other one's a festival um, T-shirt. There's also an apron on the car seat that I drive, um, which is for my tea parties. And those are the ways that I've become involved with Open Doors over the years. Um, I want to um, show you a, a small video clip. It's about um, something that Open Doors produces. They're the charity, the only charity that produces it, and it's called a World Watch List. It's got lots of. It's compiled using lots of information, um, and it lists um, the fifty. It says it's the fifty top countries, but top always sounds good. It's actually the worst fifty countries to be a Christian, and it goes from one, which is the the grottiest place, um, and fifty, which is um, considered to be quite um, not so bad. Um, interestingly, um, last year China was in 13th place. Uh, this year, China's in 37th place. Um, so could we just have the clip? Thank you. Um, th there's a, on the stand outside, there's a couple of um, versions of that um, map. There's a children's version and there's a, an adult um, version. Um, Open Doors works in all of those countries with, with native staff. Um, and it, it was first started by a guy called Brother Andrew. I don't know if anyone's heard of him. He was a Dutch man in the 1950s. He went out with his famous beetle and took Bibles into Russia. But he, he can't go into areas of Russia anymore, so he's now concentrating on, on Asia and, and the Middle East. Um, but he had uh, the vision that um, God's church will only survive if everyone is entitled to have a Bible, and he was instrumental in, in making sure that people had a Bible. And it's gone on now that Open Doors equips people and trains them to um, stand up against their persecution. It supports them practically. Um, 
through things like um, ca compassion in a similar way that it, it looks after the children, it looks after the families, it, and it builds up the churches. Um, and I wanted just um, to read to you a, a few extracts from the latest um, prayer magazine, which is outside, just to give you an idea of how um, it's impacting. Um, it, in Burma, a woman called Nayin opened her, her own her home last year to starving Muslims who she found wandering in the streets. And they came in and she gave them a meal and um, they eventually left. But when they left, um, the authorities came and they arrested her. And they arrested her and accused her of being a national traitor because um, Muslims are a state enemy in her country. And she is now and still is in prison serving for just, well, just three years, but she's in prison because she chose to be a Christian and give people a meal. Um, someone I've been following for most of the time I've known Open Doors, um, which is amazing for, for one reason, is, is in China. And is a guy called Alim Jan Yamiti. Um, he's been in detention since 2009. He's in detention for 15 years um, he's got a wife and two children. They're only allowed to visit him on a monthly basis. Um, he's, it's never been proved, the crimes against him have never been proved either by the Chinese law or the UN. Every time lawyers um, try to bring the case up again, the lawyers lose their license to practice. He's a Muslim, um, a Christian Muslim. He lives in the northwest area of China. And what's um, amazing for me, which I only realised just last night, is that when I go to China in two weeks' time, that's the part I'm going to. So I really feel God's hand has kind of answered my prayer in taking me to somewhere that I really, really have a passion for. Um, another story, a young Syrian child, because obviously there's so much conflict in Syria at the moment. Her name is Yuma. She says that she prays and remembers God's words. She memorises Bible verses and says them aloud when she's afraid. One of the psalms, she says, is Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And she says that in saying those words, it helps to make her feel better. I suppose up to now, Kevin and I have done kind of really practical things in this country we've worked on festival stands um, and cafes so we're pretty good at making coffee and hot chocolate um, but we've also told people about the stuff that Open Doors is doing and we've tried to engage um, people that haven't really thought about the persecuted church before um, and this year Open Doors are doing a lot for Syria they are working in the country with the churches um, sending out food parcels which isn't just impacting the Christians in Syria the churches are opening up um, their doors to anybody that needs who has a need and there are a tremendous number of people coming to Christ right now while we talk because of those churches having food parcels and because of those churches um, being able to stand with the prayerful support that they've got from other parts of the world. And I just wanted to um, finish with something from um, FIBA Radio that's um, this week as a Syria focus. And this is the message that's being pulled, pushed out by the church in Syria and through other agencies that um, the resolution to the conflict in Syria will come through prayer. And what FIBA says is, please pray firstly for the church in Syria. 
I pray the church would know God and know that God is not on one particular side of this conflict. But I believe that God will work through all this to bring about his glory and to bring people into relationship with him. It is he who will save people. He holds the real freedom. I believe the church in Syria can help change the situation and needs to believe in the power of prayer. I ask that people would pray for my country in anguish, in understanding of the pain God feels over my country and its people and how he cries for them. So if you want to come, I know I've got loads of stuff on Open Doors on the stand. Obviously, that's, that's why. Um, there's some DVDs, there's loads of resources, but there's a petition. There's a worldwide international petition going on to get 500,000 signatures against the conflict and the war to have a peaceful resolution to the situation in Syria. And I've only got about four signatures on it from this church, and I would really love to fill my pages. Um, thanks. Great. I, um, I know it's, it's felt different, isn't it, this morning, um, just hearing a couple of these things, but it, it's important, isn't it? Um, obviously, we're a local, local church. There are local members of this family who have a passion for different, different things, different organizations, um, different ways that the love of God is getting shared around the world. And as you've heard, the needs are huge, aren't they? And uh, it would be quite easy for us to feel quite overwhelmed by exactly what's going on. And that's just two things, isn't it? Just two organizations when actually many of us would know many more, have a heart for other things. That's great. Um, I would love us from time to time just to get an opportunity to do this kind of stuff where we get to hear um, things from a different perspective. Um, One of the things that I've been stirred with, and again, I know I've shared this before, but um, if... A definition of um, heaven, we read it in scripture, don't we, that in heaven it says that there will be no more sadness and that he will wipe away every tear. So if we, we're praying, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we have a responsibility to wipe away as many tears as we can. Yeah? I know it sounds a little bit cheesy, but I think I like that. I think a bit of cheese is okay when we're talking about the heart of God um, for the earth. And what I would love this morning, if you felt stirred by what I was sharing early on in terms of the love that God has for you, or if you've been stirred by any of the stuff that's been shared to do with this stuff, I would love us just to pray and just spend these last few minutes just just worshipping together quietly, um, just reflecting on on what's been shared. Um, Can I just pray for us? Is that all right? Um, Father, I want to thank you that um, your heart has melted ours and uh, that we have the privileged position this morning of knowing you. And not only of knowing you, but getting to shout it from the rooftops unhindered. And... uh, Lord, I want to just pray for everyone here that we would know you at a deeper level. Father, I pray this week that you would lead me deeper into your presence. I want to thank you that you're my dad. 
You are daddy God. Just as I'm saying that, I just feel there's people in the room who struggle with that. It feels like there's a fight on in our day to be able to say that God is good and to say that he's a good dad. Because there's an enemy out there who would love for us to believe everything else except that truth. Holy Spirit, I just pray for anyone who's struggling with knowing you as a father. Did you just minister love to those people right now? Thank you, Holy Spirit. So, Father, I want to pray for us this week that, that each one of us would know you deeper that you would take us more in this adventure. And Lord, I pray as I get closer to you that I would be more caught up with what you're doing. I would see where you're moving, how you're wanting me to move with you. Holy Spirit, I want to pray for each person here that they would connect with you and be led by you to have a heart for the stuff that you have a heart for and the things that you would want them to be concerned with. Lord, I thank you you've made us all different. You've made us all unique. You've called our hearts to engage in different ways, different areas of need, different forms of poverty, different aspects of parenting. And so I pray that everyone here would feel released from any burdens of of having to do anything, released from feeling like they really should act in a certain way. Lord, I pray that we as a people, as we fall deeper in love with you, would be so led by you that we would know where you're leading us to engage in and um, to stand for others in. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I want to pray for dreams and visions around this church. Pray that there'll be supernatural activity with this. Thank you. Lord, we pray for, um, as we relate to each other as well, that we would find passion stirred, that we would find um, that we call gifting out of each other, we call destiny out of each other um, for the future, for what we're to be involved in, what, how we can serve. Lord, I want to thank you for Paul and for Gail. I want to thank you that they are um, uh, leading the way into some of these areas. Lord, I, I pray that their voices will be heard and others like it around this church. Lord, that we'd continue to hear your heart um, for those that are not as fortunate as we are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.